anything but myself I don't believe in anything but myself But then you opened up a door You opened up a door Now I start to believe in something else But how do I know If I'll make it through How do I know Where's the proof in you And so it goes This soldier knows The battle with the heart Isn't easily won And so it goes This soldier knows The battle with the heart Isn't easily won But it can be won but it can be one I sit in the back of a bus Watching the world go old Watching the world go by all by myself I took a faithful leap And packed up all my things And all my love And gave it to somebody else But how do I know if I make it through How do I know Where's the proof in you And so it goes This soldier knows The battle with the heart Isn't easily won And so it goes This soldier knows The battle with the heart Isn't easily So, Father, we know that uh, you can win a battle with our body just by touching us. You uh, can conquer our heads easily just by appearing and doing tricks in front of us. But, Lord God, uh, the battle for our hearts, you gave up absolutely everything to win our hearts. And now, Lord God, we pray 
that you would do just that through the power of your word, that you, Lord Jesus, would grab hold of our hearts. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Well, as you know, last week we started preaching through the Gospel of John, Bigger, Better, and Uncut. And uh, we're continuing that tonight. So um, let's dance. Hey, everybody just stand up wherever you are, okay? Just stand up. Come on, stand up. I'm the pastor. Do it. Stand up because I think that we need to dance. On the screen, you will see the score, the sheet music for the greatest song ever written by mortal man. The glory in this song is absolutely amazing. It's Freebird by Leonard Skinner, my very favorite song, okay? So are you ready? We're going to dance. Ready and go. Come on! <laughs> you guys are lousy, Randy. You're a lousy dancer. You, you did not manifest the glory inherent in that song whatsoever. All right? No, I'm sorry. Sit down. Sit down. I'm going to have to show you how it's done. All right? So uh, this is what I'm going to do. I'm gonna show you how it's done. Uh, ben, what I want you to do, I I'm gonna concentrate, because I don't, you know what? I don't think you folks are smart enough to read music. Maybe if you were smart enough, and maybe if you tried hard enough, you could dance, but I'm, I'm gonna do that right now. I'm, I'm ben, I'm gonna focus, and I'm, and I'm, gonna, I'm gonna concentrate, and uh, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna dance. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna try hard. Okay, so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna start dancing, and when I start dancing, you start the music, okay? You ready? I'm gonna show you. How was that? Was I, it was, I was too fast, wasn't I? Was I too fast for the music? Too fast for music? Okay, I need to dance. I need to dance slower. So Susan, come up here, and uh, let's just dance slow. And so Ben, when I start dancing, I'm gonna dance slower this time, and then, and then you start the music. Okay, so just nice and slow. was that perfect I, yeah he says he's really out of touch isn't he I, hey Ben it seemed like I was dancing too slow that time is that the, is that the same song is that the same song that was playing before yeah that, that's, that, that's the same song you, you were just in the wrong place and the, the wrong time so same song but it changes yeah <laughs> dang dang I mean Dancing is really, really, really complicated, isn't it? I mean, it's like all this uh, coordination, all this rhythm and reason like transformed into energy and applied through space and time. It's like reason itself becoming flesh. Music in the flesh. Reason in the flesh. 
And as you know, uh, over the last several weeks, we've been kind of alluding to that, that music is uh, incredibly reasonable. Music is reason. Did you know that music is all about the logical coordination of harmonic oscillations communicated through pressure waves in the atmosphere? And so notes on a guitar string are particular frequencies and wavelengths of vibration that produce resonant waves in the string, kind of like, like this, okay? There's a physics demonstration, okay? Let's see, see that? That's, that's like one wavelength, making resonance, they call it. And so when several strings vibrate at different resonant frequencies and wavelengths, yet an integral relation one to another in space and time, they form harmonies which are extremely logical and complex physical and mathematical relations. So what I'm saying is that music is math. That's what it is. And logic and reason. Like we talked about last week, math, uh, music is math, logic, and reason. So Elvis Presley, Jimmy Page may in fact be better mathematicians and philosophers than Albert Einstein and Plato. They don't comprehend the reason. However, the reason <laughs> comprehends them. They can't explain the math, and yet they are incredible, intuitive mathematicians. Music is reason. And you see, that's a little surprising because music feels like emotion, right? And you and I are taught that emotion is unreasonable. But maybe, maybe just like music, emotion isn't unreasonable. Maybe emotion is super reasonable. It's too many reasons for us to comprehend with our conscious mind. It's reason that bypasses the conscious mind is like, and, and then it's like felt with our entire body. Well, you see, music expresses emotion. So if I were to play an A on the guitar, <laughs> it, it would sound um, reasonable and right, and happy, and whole, and, and why is that? Well, it's because of the logic of harmonic oscillations in integral relation one to another. It's consonance. However, if I were to play an A minor, it feels kinda sad and pensive. And we're no longer thinking of soda pop and ice cream, we're thinking of Clint Eastwood and High Plains Drifter riding across the plain longing for justice. And why is that? It's dissonance. It's one vibration just a half step off. So you hear an A minor and you long for an A. And you see, it's all profoundly reasonable. So reasonable, you don't think it, you feel it. So I used to listen to Freebird, the fast part. Just psych myself up on Freebird before I would go skiing, you know? And I'd just have like, man, all this courage. In fact, probably too much courage. In fact, when we went skiing with our iPods, Coleman, I listened to Freebird, just crashed all over the place. Too much, too much courage. But you see, music is so reasonable 
You, you don't think it, you, you feel it. Music is, is reason in the atmosphere and all around you like, like spirit, like, like wind. Music is reason in the atmosphere and dancing is like music having become flesh. Dancing is profoundly reasonable, but it's not simply your reason. You can't dance through the power of your own reason. A high IQ and a strong will do not a great dancer make. You must surrender your reason to a greater reason in order to dance. You can't comprehend the music, but the music will comprehend you. Last week, we talked about the logos, the word, the logic, the reason. And you may have thought to yourself, I'm sorry, but I can't comprehend that. Well, it doesn't matter. <laughs> because it, or I should say he, will comprehend you. The reason is gonna get you. The rhythm is gonna get you. Let me put it another way. God isn't asking you to comprehend the logos. He's asking you to dance. Your life is to be a dance. And, and if you say, I can't dance, well, that's kind of strange. Because you know, any little kid can dance. Any little kid. Last week, we started reading the Gospel of John. John chapter one, verse one. In the beginning was the word, the logos, the reason, uh, the meaning, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In fact, the darkness cannot comprehend it. Last time we talked about this incredible Greek philosophical idea of the logos, the reason that underlies and unifies all things, the fabric of reality. Logos is this incredibly rich Greek philosophical idea, and yet logos also translates an incredibly rich Hebrew idea, and that is uh, the idea of word, debar in Hebrew, which translates as word or thing. One word, debar. And so to the Hebrew, a word is a thing, and a thing is, is a word. And the word of God is more than just a thing, it's a person. You remember in Genesis, the word of God comes to Abraham, and Abraham talks to him like he's talking to a man, the God-man. And in the beginning, God speaks everything in Genesis, he speaks everything into existence with that word. In Proverbs 8, that word seems to talk and call himself or herself wisdom. So Proverbs 8, this is wisdom speaking the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he marked out the foundation of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited word and world and delighting in the children of men. Whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord, grace from the Lord, but he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me 
love death. That's wisdom speaking. In Proverbs, it appears that wisdom is almost synonymous with knowledge. And you'll remember that in the Garden of Eden, there was this tree of knowledge, knowledge of good and evil. It was like wisdom that hung on a tree. Adam and Eve took it, tried to control it, consume it, and so killed it, killed him. They took it. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't long to give it. Give him wisdom, the word. Now the law, the Ten Commandments is referred to in the Old Testament, it's the ten words, but not the word, not the living word. Perhaps the ten words are like the word crucified and cut into pieces. I don't know. But I think the ten words reference the living word in the same way the notes on a page reference a song. They're a reference to the song, but in a very simplistic and dead sort of way. They're they're true in, in that sense, but you can't dance to it. In order to dance to it, someone needs to like breathe life into it, to fill it, to fulfill it. And Jesus said, I came to fully fill the law, and I am the life. Well, in the beginning, God created everything with his word, the reason. Creation is the manifestation of the reason, God's word. A a word is a vibration of meaning in the atmosphere, and God's word is a song. You know, in the finished creation, Revelation chapter five, everything is singing. Everything is song. Creation is the manifestation of a song. Kind of like this. I mean, you can see this on your computer. See that? Sound waves become light waves. Well, everything that you see is that. The visualization of a song. Isn't that wild? In the Cimmerillion, the prequel to J.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings, have any of you read that, Cimmerillion? Remember at the start of the Cimmerillion, Tolkien pictures God singing all things into existence through his angels, but then one angel, Melkor, who's a picture of Satan, begins singing arrogant and dissonant notes. His discord was and is evil, but Iluvatar, who is God, stands and sings such that even the discordant notes of Melkor are brought into a deeper and more beautiful harmony, as if the very place in which sin increased, grace abounded all the more. As if every A minor increases the beauty of A major, as if every dissonance will one day reveal God's resonant consonants. In the Cimmerillion, God makes uh, consonants out of all dissonance, then stands up and cries out, and thou, Melchor, Satan, 
shall see that no theme may be played that hath not its uttermost source in me, nor can any alter the music in my despite. For he that attempteth this shall prove but mine instrument in the devising of things more wonderful, which he himself hath not imagined. I love that. You know, the death of Jesus Christ on the tree appeared to be Satan's greatest victory. But God raised Jesus from the dead, revealing it to be Satan's greatest defeat. Indeed, the very revelation, the very heart, the rhythm, the logic of the song. And all creation is the manifestation of that song. Now, now you may be saying to yourself, well, that's just, that's just wonderful poetry. <laughs> that's, a, that's a beautiful metaphor, Pastor. Well, I'm not so sure it's a metaphor. If you know much about physics and cosmology, you know that what I'm saying sounds an awful lot like string theory. That's the predominant theory of everything right now. String theory combines Einstein's theories of relativity and quantum mechanics by positing that all reality is made up of one-dimensional strings, but vibrating in something like uh, 10 different dimensions of space-time producing all physical reality. In the elegant universe, physicist Brian Greene of Columbia University writes this, what appear to be different elemental, elemental particles, which is everything you see, what appear to be different elementary particles are actually different notes on a fundamental string. The universe is akin to a cosmic symphony. That's not a pastor illustration book, okay? You can look this up on Wikipedia. Akin to a cosmic symphony. Well, all creation is the manifestation of God's song. In the Chronicles of Narnia, Aslan the lion sings Narnia into existence. As he sings, land, sky, trees, flowers, water, animals, they all spring into existence, pulsating to the rhythm of the song. The children witness it, along with their Uncle Andrew. For the children, it has an absolutely incredible effect, but it has a terrible effect on Uncle Andrew. If you see, Uncle Andrew is a magician. Magicians try to control supernatural forces uh, for their own ends, rather than allowing themselves to be controlled by supernatural forces for God's end. In that way, they're just like scribes and Pharisees. Uncle Andrew hates the lion's song and that the lion is singing it. He hates that the lion is in control and he's not. And so C.S. Lewis writes this, and the longer and more beautifully the lion sang, the harder Uncle Andrew tried to make himself believe that he could hear nothing but roaring. Now, the trouble about trying to make yourself stupider than you really are is that you very often succeed. Uncle Andrew did. He soon did hear nothing but roaring in Aslan's song. Soon he couldn't have heard anything else even if he had wanted to. And when at last the lion spoke and said, Narnia, awake, he didn't hear any words. He heard only a snarl. Well, according to scripture, all creation is the manifestation of God's word. Just like a dance manifests a song. Most of creation has no choice. 
but to dance. But what if God wanted to make a creature in his own image? A creature that could hear the song and choose to dance. See, Uncle Andrew was made by the song, but chose not to dance. We have all been created with a word and made by a song, made by a song to a point. Yet 2,000 years ago, outside Jerusalem, we crucified the word to stop the song. He piped, and we would not dance, for we wanted to control the dance we wanted to lead. And so we took wisdom. We took the knowledge of good and evil to gain control and so crucified the word, the reason, the music, the Lord of the dance. And now we all wonder in this fallen world, is it too late to dance? To dance, you know, like little children dance in freedom because they want to. Verse four, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light that enlightens every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world knew him not. He came to his own home, and his own people received him not. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave ecousia, it literally means, if you look it up in like Strong's Concordance, it means the power of choice. He gave ecousia, power of choice, to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God, of God's will. And the word, the word, the reason, the logos, the music became flesh and dwelt among us full of grace and truth, we have beheld his glory, glory as of the only son from the father. He dwelt among us. Literally, he tabernacled among us. He sanctuaried among us. And just like the temple was filled with the glory of the eternal fire, so he was filled with grace and truth, which is the eternal fire. And from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. That probably means grace without limit. It may also mean grace after grace. So the law, you see, was a form of grace. It was like the sheet music, but Jesus is the dance. The law is good, but you can't dance to it. Jesus Christ is the song and has become the dance, reason in flesh, body and blood given to us, and he gives us the power of choice to choose him and to dance in freedom. because we want to. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. 
No one has ever seen God, the only Son who is in the bosom, the heart of the Father. He has made him known, made him known. Exegesato, it's where we get the word exegesis. So John is saying Jesus literally exegetes the Father. In seminary, you know, I took courses on um, exegetical methods in order to exegete scripture and understand God. But John is saying Jesus is the exegesis. Jesus is the exegesis of God. Jesus exegetes God the way a dance exegetes a song. So 2,000 years ago, the Jews read the sheet music, sometimes they even heard God's word. They had the law and the prophets, but they did not and could not see what it meant until they saw Jesus, the word, the reason in the flesh. They read the sheet music but Jesus is the dance. So when they all expected Jesus to condemn an adulteress, remember that, chapter eight of John, and pelt her with stones? Jesus forgave her, and he condemned their condemnation. When we would expect him to rebuke folks at a wedding party, like in chapter two, for drinking too much, what does Jesus do? He takes seven huge, or six, I can't remember, six or seven, I think it's six, huge stone jars of water and turns them into wine. Whereas John wants to call down fire on the Samaritans, I mean, he thinks that's what the the sheep music calls for. When he wants to call down fire on the Samaritans, Jesus sits by a well and offers a sinful Samaritan woman living water. You see, John's gospel is the record of Jesus' dance. And it is so important that you watch him dance as you listen to the song and read the sheep music. For the life of Jesus the Christ exegetes God and even exegetes the sheet music. For years I was taught that the sheet music revealed that God presided over an unending torture chamber that exhibited his glory. But the more I watched Jesus dance in scripture and in my life, the more it seemed that that idea just didn't fit his dance. And then when I went back and looked at the sheet music, I couldn't find it in the sheet music either. Terrifying things, yes, but endless torture for torture's sake? No. Jesus is the dance that reveals the meaning of the sheet music. Jesus is the meaning of all scripture. You struggle with those Old Testament passages, I'll tell you what they mean. They mean Jesus. You see, on our own, we can twist scripture almost any way we want. Religious folks even turn it into science to justify hate. We can twist scripture any way we want until we watch the dance, until we watch Jesus, until we ask, does this look like Jesus? WWJD, what would Jesus do? What what would Jesus dance? That is the most advanced and rational of all theological contemplation and biblical exegesis. 2,000 years ago, they read the sheet music, but Jesus revealed the dance. When they expected Jesus, to honor their religion, respect their authority, Jesus entered the temple and he literally tore it apart, crying out, destroy this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. 
when they all expected Jesus to seize his crown and lead a revolution against the pagan oppressors of Rome, Jesus chose to, to, to let them, the Romans, crown him with thorns and then die in their place. See, the Romans and the Jews, indeed all humanity, wanted to control the dance, to seize it, to possess it, and so they nailed the dance to a tree, but when they cut into Jesus, they revealed the very heart of the dance. The love of God poured out grace and truth, justice that is mercy, the life, light, and love of God. You know, the death of Jesus was the most ugly, vile, dissonant, and discordant note ever struck on the face of this earth. And yet God took that discordant note and transformed it into the revelation of all harmony, the revelation of his glory and the rhythm of his heart. And so they crucified the dance and they expected him to stay dead, but he rose from the grave. He reconciles all creation unto God that all creation would dance and that the children of God would choose to dance in freedom because they want to. So how do we dance? You know, the sheet music reveals some dance steps, and, and you know those, right? You can read the sheet music. I don't have to review it for you. Do not kill, you know. Do not steal. Do not covet. Don't commit adultery. Um, do give to the poor. Do read your Bible. Uh, do, do some things that look like love. Dance steps. With our reason and our will, we can do dance steps, but that's not dancing. And if, it's, if we think it's, it's dancing, we'll never dance. For to dance is to forget the dance steps, yet fulfill all the dance steps. To dance is grace and truth expressed in absolute freedom. So, so how do we learn to dance? We dance with him. That is, we listen to the music and we let him lead. Oh, no. sorry. Oh, no. Oh, it's a feeling, a heartbeat. Google. 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 Don't try so hard. Google. Google. Close your eyes. It's the truth, and I owe it all to you. <laughs> but you see, we can only learn to dance by dancing with Jesus. And when we learn to dance, the dance spreads. Do you see that? It spreads 
through the whole camp. Although they despised the dancer and his dance, if you saw the movie or read the book, although they despise the dancer and his dance, he teaches us the dance. And the dance saves the whole camp, for the dance is grace and truth, which is mercy. It spreads until all are dancing. And now you may be thinking to yourself, oh, that's just really a nice metaphor, preacher. Patrick Swayze, it's Jesus, you know, and, and uh, us as the bride of Christ dancing at, at camp, learning to dance with Jesus. But I don't see Jesus. Where is he? I don't see him. Well, that's what you think. I understand. I mean, I know how you, you feel. Believe me. I want to see him too. I want to see him more. And so if you say, well, I want to see Jesus, well, I think Jesus is still inviting us to dance. You see, I think he's still romancing our hearts. And so in this world, he's very subtle and unimposing. But believe me, you will see him. I guarantee it. And when you do, say, yes, I want to dance. <laughs> this is what we talked about last week. One day you will see him. But we're all so much like Uncle Andrew, we want to just run and hide in fear, and he longs to dance. And so if you say, I, I can't see him, I understand. We say, I don't see Jesus, and I don't hear the music. Well, we'll look and listen. On the night he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. Take and eat. Do it in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you, and do it in remembrance of me. You see, this is the rhythm of the dance. This is the most reasonable thing on the face of this planet. This is the Logos made flesh for the love of you. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world knew him not. This is where we come to know him. This is where he romances our hearts into surrender. This is where he gives us the courage to look him in the face and say, yes, I, I will dance. This is the rhythm, the logic, the heartbeat of the dance. In this um, fallen world, it looks like pain, doesn't it? Love is a lot of pain in this world, but it turns into ecstasy. In this fallen world, it appears, well, just unreasonable. And yet, it is the reason for, of, and about all things. At this table, you come to know the dance. But soon you will see, the dance is all around you. And you can dance with him anywhere. This is one of my favorite little stories. Robin Gunn writes the following. She stood a short distance from her guardian at the park this afternoon her distinctive features revealing that although her body blossomed into young adulthood, her mind would always remain a child's. 
caught up in fighting over a shovel. They didn't notice when the wind changed, but she did. A wild autumn wind spinning leaves into amber flurries. Then my rosy-cheeked boy stood tall, stood still, watching with wide-eyed fascination the gyrating dance of the Down syndrome girl as she scooped up leaves and showered herself with a twirling rain of autumn jubilation. With each twist and hop, she sang deep, earthy grunts, a canticle of praise meant for the one whose breath causes the leaves to tremble from the trees. Now in the rearview mirror, I study her one more time through misty eyes. And then the tears come. Not tears of pity for her. The tears are for me, for I am far too sophisticated to publicly shout praises to my creator. I am whole and intelligent and normal. And so I weep because I will never know the severe mercy the severe mercy that frees such a child and bids her come dance in the autumn leaves. Well, I don't know about Robin Gunn, but this is that severe mercy. To come to this table, you see, is to surrender your reason. What I mean by that is your lust for power and control your knowledge of good and evil, which you use to justify yourself, your pride and your fear. To come to this table is to confess your sin. Uh, to come to this table is to surrender your reason and receive God's reason. The unstoppable, unending dance of love. You see, you really are the bride of Christ. You really are the little children of God. You really are the body of the Holy Spirit dancing even now in this fallen world. So tonight, come to the table, tear off a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup, the dark cups wine, the light cups are juice. But they're both the reason, the life, the love, the light of God. Come to the table and dance. What I mean by that is make your whole life a dance. Because you listen to the music and you follow his lead. In Jesus' name, let's worship. Amen. And now let me say, there are probably some of you that were a little stressed. And uh, I found that to be true whenever I talk about the dance, because then people wonder, is the preacher guy expecting me to dance right now? Uh, well, I'm talking about the dance of your life. And if you wanna dance in the sanctuary we're worshiping, that's awesome, go for it. But if you're nervous about dancing, don't. You don't need to. I mean, in fact, actually, if you're scared and worried about dancing and all afraid about dancing, well, then you won't dance in freedom. 
You know, I think we think a lot of times that the job of the pastor is to give us the sheet music. So you come to church to get more sheet music and then you take it home and you try to dance. Let's see here. But that's not dancing. That's practicing dance steps. And it's thinking about yourself. And you see, the key to dancing is getting your mind off of yourself and judging yourself and onto him. Because you see, he's standing in front of you and he's lifting your face and he's saying, look at me. Stop looking at your feet. Stop looking at yourself and look at me. I love you. And when you believe that, you'll start to dance. He's the Lord of the dance. And he wants to dance with you in freedom. So believe the gospel in Jesus' name. And you will dance. Amen.